So a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan contacted me. He said, hey, I've got some, uh, do you need some firewood? I've got some extra wood that I don't need. Uh, he had some logs. He said, it just needs to be um, cut and split. And I uh, would love for you to have it. So Pastor Dan could have cut the logs and split them. Perhaps he could have even delivered it to my home and stacked it for me. Alternatively, I could have gone there and picked up the logs myself, and I could have cut them and split them myself and stacked it. But Pastor Dan said, let's chop it together. So we, I brought my axe over to his house. He had his own axe, and he has a little chainsaw. Cut it up, split the wood. It was one of those, it was two weeks ago on the weekend. It was really hot. Remember, that was the hottest day. And we're out there chopping wood. But you know what? Um, kind of a win-win. Like, he needed to get rid of the wood. I needed to, I like to burn it. But we had sort of a sacred moment chopping wood together. And it reminded me that I actually have chopped wood with my predecessor, Pastor Jack. Some of you knew him. So a number of years ago, and I don't know how I ended up at his house or why we were chopping wood, but I chopped wood with Pastor Jack. I remember... He's a lot tougher than he looks. And um, like that, I was impressed. And then with Pastor Dan, I'm like, yeah, Pastor Dan can swing an axe. That's pretty cool. I was like, he's a good guy. And we had a really, there was more, there was somehow chopping wood together gave it more meaning and more satisfaction than if either of us had uh, done it on our own. Although I would have accepted if he did that for me. So we're continuing this sermon series called The Great Opportunity. And basically, we're talking about not just our own spiritual journey, but the fact that God has called his people to potentially be a part of somebody else's spiritual journey. So since Easter, we've been talking about how Jesus, when he finished his work by, his, uh, by being faithful to God's mission, to come to this world, to proclaim God's kingdom, to give his life and his, as, in atoning and if, um, a substitutionary, really, death on the cross and his resurrection, that he completed the work that the Father had sent him to do. And he said to his followers, as, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So his work is done, but the work of Jesus' followers begins. So we are sent to bring the message of God's kingdom, the good news of Jesus, to the people and the places where God has put us. And what we've seen so far as we've been considering these ideas is that this is not just for some followers of Jesus. This is an opportunity for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, that we can all be part of this way of life where we're coming alongside other people. It's, it's just a very normal and natural outflow of our faith. And as we live this way, as we embrace this opportunity, as we accept the invitation, it's a fruitful life. It's a good life. It's a full and abundant life that God has for us. And so we've started by you know, praying for people in our everyday lives, people near where we play and where we work and where we live. And so we've uh, scattered throughout the sanctuary. We have these little prayer map cards, and some of you have been jotting names and intentionally praying for people. And we've seen that uh, God is opening doors for conversations and spiritual conversations. And we realize that as we do this, that God is already at work in the people that he's calling us to, and God's at work in our heart as well. And it's just aligning ourselves with what God is already doing. And it's good, and it's beautiful. And you've been sharing stories. I've been hearing the testimonies of how 
you've been having those conversations and people have been making invitations and there's been some really cool, really cool stuff to hear. But here's what happens. Whenever we embrace this way of life, inevitably, we get discouraged on the journey or we struggle or we have questions of faith or we fall short. You know, we sin and one of the biggest objections I get from people is to say, look, this sounds great, this way of life, but I'm, I've got struggles, I've got sin. How could I possibly walk along with someone else when I feel so inadequate to do this? This is where God has given us each other. That's where God has called us together on this journey. This, is, this way of life is not a solitary task. In order, us, in order for us to to live this out, we need each other. We need authentic, what I'm going to call gospel relationships, spiritual relationships, where we walk with one another. And just like chopping wood with Pastor Dan, this is a task that is, it's different when we do it together. And it's better when we do this together. And it's crucial to what we're talking about as we embrace the opportunity together. So we're on each other's journeys as we seek to walk alongside others as well. So this passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 20 is a beautiful picture of a group of people who lived in relationship with one another and living out the mission to bring God's Word to their world. And so we're going to just make some observations, give a little background of what's going on here, and then some highlights of their way of life together. And there's many I could touch on, but I'll just give a few highlights and then think about how to apply this for our lives. Let's pray as we do so. So, Father God, we just turn again to your word, and we just pray that you would be our teacher by your Holy Spirit to show us what you want us to see and to respond in faith, Lord. So please assist us in this. We pray with humility, but we pray with confidence, knowing that you are good and you love us. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So just as a way of background, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's uh, traveling around the known world and bringing this message of Jesus to new places. This is what we would call his third missionary journey, his, uh, the third of his travels. And he goes to the city of Ephesus, a big city, and he has this amazing ministry there. He starts the same way that he starts most of his ministry. He goes to the synagogue, and he's preaching to Jewish people and describing how Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and talking about Jesus' life and his death and resurrection, and, and people are putting their faith in Jesus. But some people are rejecting that, so he sort of takes those who believed, and he moves his ministry out of the synagogue. He ends up in sort of a classroom setting, and he continues teaching for two years. And Acts chapter 19 says, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So basically everybody who was there somehow heard this message through what they were doing. There was amazing miracles. People were being healed. And they just and lives were being changed. People were leaving their old way of life and living a new way of life. Their community in the city of Ephesus was so changed that it was starting to disrupt the economics of the city. Because in Ephesus, there was a huge temple to the... To, to Artemis. And it was a, this spectacular wonder of the ancient world. But there was a whole business around it where people were selling little um, silver statues and they would, uh, there was all this 
sort of kind of like witchcraft and sorcery where people had, um, they were selling spells and scrolls and teaching other people how to, to live this way of life. There was a lot of spirit, a lot of dark spiritual stuff going on. And when people came to faith in Jesus, they just left it. They stopped buying this stuff. They were burning their scrolls. And one of the, one of the guys who made these, uh, he was a silversmith, he got a bunch of the artisans together and said, look, these Christians are putting us out of our job. And gathered these people together. They started this huge revolt against the Christians. And it was this um, kind of almost a riot breaks out. So Paul then has to leave the city. He leaves kind of hastily. doesn't really get to say goodbye to these church leaders. The riot kind of settles down. The Christians continue their ministry. And then as you know, Paul kind of circles back through, he's in a neighboring town. And he said, can you get the church leaders to me? I need to say goodbye to them. And he gives them this speech, which was just read for us. So that's kind of the background. But what I want to point out there is a group of people living this way of life that we've been describing for a number of weeks can change a city, genuinely change a city. And we want to change our world, right? So will the Free Christian Church of Andover, will we stop all world wars? Will we uh, bring... Uh, food and healing and wholeness to the entire planet. You know, I don't believe that that's God's calling for us. God's at work in the bigger picture. But in our context, can we see one relationship restored, one marriage restored? One person finding sobriety so they don't drive drunk and you know, take one life? You know, one less suicide, one one more person who finds faith and who finds a purpose and meaning in life through the forgiveness and the power of Jesus Christ. But it's not just one life. It's, there are many of us in this room, and many of us gathered earlier today, and there's work that we're doing as we go about our lives and live this. We could genuinely change our region, one life at a time, by faithfully living out in our day, just as they did in Ephesus back then. And it really did change the city. So what was this way of, what was their relationship? What was their connection, this way of life? Let me give you a few highlights here. One is that they knew Paul's life. Verse 18. So this is his farewell speech. He says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. You know, they, they, he needed to be known. So my question to you is, who really knows you in this church? Are you known? And it's not about being an introvert or an extrovert. It's about living life together in a way in which you are known. How did this happen? Our second highlight here in verse 20. He went into their personal spaces. So he says, I have taught you publicly and from house to house. That it wasn't just in the public gatherings. It wasn't just when they were, he was teaching or um, giving a, a talk at the, this lecture hall that he was teaching in. It was in their homes. It was their personal Spaces. Thirdly, they saw his work ethic. Verse 34. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. You know, his work and his schedule, everything he did was to foster and nurture a way of life where they could live out the mission that God had given them. And he was accountable to how he spent his time, his work time, his free time, his ministry time. Again, it wasn't just the church activity that they were doing. It was all the work that he did. 
It was all part of how God was using them. So this kind of relationship and this kind of ministry takes time, takes intentionality. The fourth highlight is they knew his finances. Verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. He said, look, you know how I worked. You know how I made money. You know how I spent money. And then the question is, is there anyone who knows your finances, your personal finances? So isn't that kind of a personal thing? And in many ways, yes, it is. Even Jesus said, when you give to the needy, you know, don't announce it. Don't make a big deal of it. You know, actually, don't even let your own right hand know what your left hand is doing. Just when you give, just give discreetly and give quietly. And so we, you know, there is a, a truth to that for sure. But there's been too many times where we've seen people in personal financial ruin. Marriages that have been destroyed because of finances. Where people could have received help sooner, but were too embarrassed. Oh no, that's too private. We don't, you know, we don't go there. But we're people, if we're going to, if the way of life, we're so connected to each other that we can talk about these things. We can support one another. You know, I, hopefully before hopefully before the end of this year, we're going to be announcing, uh, we're going to bring back Financial Peace University as a ministry of the church where you know, people um, learn how to be good stewards of their financial resources and um, how to do that in a way that, is, that utilizes wisdom but is also generous and honors God. And so these are, these are things that are just part of these relationships. Another highlight of their way of life is their emotional bond. I don't know if you picked up on the word tears here, but in verse 19, he says, I served the Lord with humility and tears. Verse 31, for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And then in verses 36 and 37, they're kneeling down, they prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. This is a bunch of men just crying together. And you say, oh, that's, that's not me. I'm not that emotional. Well, maybe not. But God's word says, Galatians 6, 2, that we carry each other's burdens. And that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12 says, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. We must be a people who share each other's burdens. That we hurt sometimes. We live in a sinful and broken world. And that causes pain. That causes hurt. We face losses and we cry. But we cry together. We're called to be a body. The the way scripture describes it is if one part hurts, the whole thing hurts. If one part's rejoicing, the whole thing is rejoicing. We just, we are connected in a way where we're willing to just cry with each other. And the last highlight I'll point out here. In this passage, you could read this so many times. It's such a beautiful expression of a, of a church. You know, people who are, especially people who are new to faith, just living life together, living out their mission. But this last one, um, he said hard things to them. Verse 20, he said, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And he wasn't afraid to confront them or to correct them where they needed it. Verse 31, remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you. That, that word means uh, sometimes translated admonishing. You know, 
not just, hey, everything's fine, but, you know, there was times when they needed to correct each other. And he pushed them towards the truth of the gospel. The gospel is, the good news, what well, starts with the bad news, is that we all need forgiveness, that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standards. Yet, we can receive grace and forgiveness. So as we walk with Jesus, it's a constant walking of turning away from sin and receiving his grace over and over. That we are a community of people who fight sin together. And it takes a lot of relational capital to help each other see that. You know, I had someone this week point out to me uh, one of my blind spots. I had a conversation, and I knew the conversation didn't go well. And I couldn't quite put my finger on why the conversation didn't go well. And somebody who was listening to the conversation was able to point out to me where that conversation went off track. And it was me. Um, but that was immensely helpful to me because we don't always see our own blind spots, but sometimes other people can point those things out. And we can seek forgiveness from God. I can seek forgiveness from this person I was talking to. This was so helpful to me. But we must be able to say these hard things to each other. Again, that's just some highlights of what I'm seeing in this text here. Again, I encourage you to just read through it. But um, in terms of applying this for our lives, you know, if you've experienced this way of life, this type of relationship, this is going to resonate. All these things I'm saying probably resonate with you. Praise God for it. Thank God that you are not alone, that he has brought people on your journey to walk with. Foster those relationships. Nurture them. Reconnect. Sometimes we just get distant from each other for no problem, no reason. We just, we can lose touch to re-engage those good relationships that help you live out your, you know, this way of life with the Lord. But there's others here who say, yeah, you know, pastor, that sounds like a great way of living, but I have never experienced that. Or I've been, even worse, I've been hurt or I've tried and I've, you know, it hasn't worked out. What I'll say to you is this is not easy. This is not, they don't, Paul just doesn't make this speech because they had, you know, had just met. I mean, they, for years they had been living together and ministering together and, and living this out. Uh, we can't just assign this kind of relationship. We can't just manufacture it. But there are places, you know, where you can connect. Small groups is a great place to connect and begin this kind of connection with other believers. Pastor Dan is currently working with the small group leaders. He's trying to find out which groups are meeting throughout the summer because some of the groups, you know, maybe take a break for July and August and reconvene in the fall. But there's going to be groups that are still open throughout the summer. Or maybe you say, you know, this fall I'm going to really commit my schedule to, um, to connecting with other believers. I know the men's ministry is talking about connecting men in even smaller communities, in twos and in threes. And um, again, the best way to live this out is wherever you can live authentically with other people. Some, for some people, that's a one-on-one -on -one kind of a friendship. It's wherever you can live this out. And, and it leads to this beautiful way of life. This whole thing ends, I love this passage, where Paul tells them, he said, look, I'm going away and terrible things are going to happen to me. And you who stay here, terrible things are probably going to happen to you too. That didn't upset them. What really upset them and the reason they were crying was because he said, I'm not going to see you again. You know, whatever those terrible things that are going to happen, that's in God's hand. But we're going to miss you because God called us for this season to be connected to each other. As we accept the great opportunity, this great invitation 
to come alongside other people in our spiritual journey. We do it not alone, but we do it together. And as we connect to each other, we're tending to our own souls. We're helping to see other people feed their souls, and then we're going to walk alongside others, and we're going to invite them into the same thing. Let us pray. God, we thank you for every good relationship and every good opportunity you put before us. And I pray that, um, that we would all know how to take a next step to go deeper, to be more open and honest with each other, that we might point one another to, to you, to your grace, uh, to who you are in everything that we do. And, and Lord, just give us a deeper awareness of it. Help us to grow, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.